Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And it's not just any edition. It's an all-crazy edition of the Three Martini Lunch. So buckle up, grab your stool, and uh, let's ride this roller coaster today. Jim, let's start in the pages of The Atlantic. I always hate when a uh, martini comes to us from the pages of The Atlantic on the first day of the month because they only give you like one or two free articles, and I'm certainly not paying for anything over there. So uh, I have to... I have to ration them carefully, but here we go on December 1st. You know, first world problems over here. Uh, It's from Tom Nichols, who's one of these never-Trumpers who decided they were a never-conservative. So they uh, not only uh, oppose Trump, but they support every Democrat, regardless of how ludicrous and radical their agenda is. But uh, he starts off by saying, Never Trump is still a movement that is about more than just one man. It stands in opposition to everything Donald Trump has done to American civic life and rejects those who would wear his mantle. And then it says, in one of the most appalling appropriations of a political banner in years, or at least since Trump decided in 2012, after years of changing party registrations, finally to settle on calling himself a Republican, some of the conservatives hoping to salvage the GOP's fortune after the 2022 midterms are trying to seize and redefine the term never Trump to mean a rejection of only Trump and no other Republicans who are like him. This is important not as some internecine fight among the right, but because it is a preview of how many Republicans, and especially those coalescing around Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, intend to rehabilitate the GOP brand in 2024. This strategy will be to make Trump the sin eater for the entire party, designating him as the GOP's sole problem and then rejecting him and only him. The goal will be to scrub away the stain of having accommodated Trump while pretending that the Republican Party is no longer an extension of his warped and anti-democratic views. This will require an extraordinary suspension of of disbelief. And then, of course, he goes into being an original never-Trumper. And here's how virtuous they are, Jim. I don't speak for every never-Trumper, but I'm confident that virtually all of us would affirm that we were not just making a choice about a candidate, but opposing the movement that coagulated around Trump. We did this not only by expressing disapproval, which is easy, but by actively voting for his Democratic challengers, which for some of us was harder to do, but was part of actually stopping Trump. In this, we became a movement ourselves. Jimmy's a victim, he's a martyr, he's a hero. He's trying to come up with any possible reason to keep the gravy train going here if Trump is not the nominee, so he's setting the table, just like uh, Jen Rubin and some others, that Ron DeSantis is just as bad, if not worse, than Donald Trump. So this party is cancerous. You can't trust anyone in here, even if Trump's not there anymore. Greg, I do have one point I agree with uh, with Tom Nichols in this, and that is I think this is an important debate. I think this is an important argument to have. It is not just some uh, routine, you know, squabble within conservative writers or so-called conservative writers in some cases. Um, that this really, you know, is meaningful. And the the heart of the Tom Nichols argument is Ron DeSantis is indistinguishable from Donald Trump. Now, I think that's really wrong. I think that is like wrong on many many levels. And one of the points, by the way, the fact that Ron DeSantis and Tom, Donald Trump are not the same does not mean Ron DeSantis is always right. Does not mean you're going to like Ron DeSantis or you're going to love Ron DeSantis or you're going to agree with every decision he makes. For the last six, seven, eight years, we've heard the argument that Donald Trump is a unique threat, not just to particular partisan issues or something like that, but he's a unique threat to the entire country, a unique threat to the Constitution, a unique threat to democracy. 
right? The idea, the argument from the never Trumpers has been, hey, Republicans, we know you're used to supporting your guy, but this guy is totally different. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons that argument is not so persuasive is that before Republicans were told Donald Trump is the devil, they were told that John McCain is the devil and that Mitt Romney was the devil and that George W. Bush was the devil and that George H.W. Bush was the devil and Bob Dole was the devil and uh, Ronald Reagan was the devil. It's the boy who cried wolf. Once you constantly do that, if you actually have a nominee who's the devil, or in the, my, I would argue a deeply flawed person as the other Republican nominee, lots of Republicans tune it out because it's the same argument. Bill Maher, back when he was still indisputably liberal, acknowledged this right before the election. And then he said, but Donald Trump really is the devil. Americans don't vote for him. I think you can look at Ron DeSantis, and I laid this out in the Washington Post uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, what makes, well, why is Donald Trump such a menace? Well, the first thing most people would point to is January 6th. Ron DeSantis had nothing to do with January 6th. The argument that he's, you know, promoted violence at his rallies, Ron DeSantis has never done anything like that. The idea that he's some sort of extremist, again, Ron DeSantis just won with like 60% of the vote, right? That doesn't seem very extreme. One Miami-Dade County, he's demonstrated a broad appeal to all kinds of, you know, he, what, what are you going to say, Ron DeSantis is xenophobic? Winning all those votes of immigrants? You know, there's this, to me, I look at him and say, okay, there's a distinction here. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I did not, you know, try to support him when he did stuff that I thought was right. In the end, I voted third party. I know some people like it. Some people don't like it. You're a free country. Think whatever you want to think. But Ron DeSantis is different. I could very easily vote for Ron DeSantis. He is in the Republican mainstream. I don't think I'm going to agree with everything he does. There are times I think he can uh, uh, get a little ham-fisted with his efforts to uh, garner attention and things like that. Uh, some of his rhetoric or things like that. But I noticed that one of the things that Tom Nichols says that proves that, ah, you know, Ron DeSantis really is another, you know, he's just like Trump. DeSantis, the great GOP hope, is so much a Trump sycophant that he has even learned to stand and gesture like Trump. You know, if you're going to make the case that these two guys are indistinguishable, you need something more than his the way they stand and their gestures. I mean, the argument of Tom Nichols, I would argue, is, is goalpost shifting. It is moving the ball. It basically saying, wait a minute, no, no, it's not enough to this guy. This other Republican who's been down in Tallahassee during most of the Trump years, he's just as bad. He's just as much a threat to the Constitution. He's just as much a threat to democracy. And therefore, no conservative and good conscience can vote for that guy either. So you're kind of left wondering, okay, so who can we vote for? Who is, which Republican do you think isn't a menace to the Republic? I don't remember Tom Nichols going all out for Brian Kemp. I don't remember Tom Nichols going out for Greg Abbott or any other conservative. Maybe he'd say Larry Hogan. Well, I got news for you. Larry Hogan's not going to be the Republican nominee. I like Larry Hogan. I think it's about as good as you're going to get in the state of Maryland. But I don't, you know, he's not going to be the Republican nominee. So live in the live in the now, live in the real. It's really kind of fascinating how many people want to believe absolutely nothing has changed. We've learned nothing since 2016. But anyway, that's where if I'm that, I'm this fired up in the first martini, Greg, I'm gonna uh <laughs> I'm gonna be driven to drink. <laughs> You could. Let me just say, though, that as principled as the argument could be, I don't think that's the case with a lot of these people, uh, especially the Lincoln Project crowd, mm. because, look, they can't go back to where they came from. They're, they're so persona non grata, pariah in the Republican side. They have to stay over there. They have to keep telling Democrats that this Republican is the, is the greatest threat that the Republic's ever seen or their, or their gig is up. And so while some people may be debating it sincerely like you are, other people are just looking to make sure that the gravy train continues. But uh, again, we'll let the, the uh, beholder uh, decide on that one. But yes, plenty of reasons to make you want to drink with this sort of goalpost shifting, as you mentioned. 
And heck, even after Thanksgiving, uh, depending what you ate and drank, uh, your liver could be in some rough shape. So you got to start taking care of it. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every day. It cleans and removes thousands of harmful toxins, but it needs some help. But thankfully, that help is here. That solution is called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals that are clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities, it boosts your energy levels, and it can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. Right now, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll get a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Go to getliverhelp.com martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of Liver Health Formula and all five bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com martini or call 800-282-1757. All right, Jim, on to our second crazy martini now. And you did a, a great job of breaking this down. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now with this whole FTX crypto fiasco, which went from the darling of the celebrity world and uh, beyond to, hey, uh, this thing just imploded and a lot of people are out there life savings here. Uh, Sam Bankman Freed is the guy who was the head of this and was uh, kind of the, the cause celeb with this whole crypto movement for a long time. Uh, and now he's trying to explain what happened. And as you point out today, Jim, not doing a very good job of it if he wants people to believe him. Uh, as you point out today, he's he said in, in a George Stephanopoulos interview, eh, I guess I should have been paying a little closer attention, but this was this is not any sort of criminal enterprise or, uh, or a Ponzi scheme or anything. It just went bad, and it's, it's, just, it's just too bad that it happened. Uh, he also uh, says in an interview that you claim here with the New York Times that uh, on November 7th, when everything was uh, going and hitting the fan, that uh, he was reassuring clients when uh, when he was really pulling his hair out here. So, uh, Jim, not helping himself. And uh, when do we actually get to some criminal stuff here? Well, it remains to be seen on that. But I think what was significant about yesterday is we've seen this epic financial collapse, perhaps up to a million people affected, uh, several billion dollars missing. And, you know, because of his role in politics and his large level, his open donations to the Democratic Party. And for what he says, he says he donated a roughly equal amount in dark money to the Republican Party. That remains to be seen. I mentioned that in my op-ed in the Washington Post today. A couple of people complained about that. If you want to argue, I could have said claimed or asserted uh, or something like that. Fine. You know, look, what he said he was donating was to groups who don't have to file with the FEC. So at this point, there's no way to verify this without looking at his personal finances. By the way, I strongly suspect his personal finances are being looked at by federal prosecutors right about now. Um, so we'll see. We may learn someday, but at least he's saying that. He also has several on-the-record donations to groups like the National Republican Congressional Committee, like in the 30,000 uh, range. So it's, you know, not, not, not a small donor there. Not the hundreds of millions that he was donating to or tens of millions that he was donating to Democratic funds. But also, like, primarily my column was about the uh, another co-founder of FTX who was indeed a big donor to the Republican Party. So that's one of the reasons this is this fascinating guy. And yesterday at this Dealbook Summit, appearing by remote from the Bahamas, this was the first time we'd seen Bankman Freed answering questions, apparently very much against the advice of his counsel, uh, who were telling him not to do this, but he felt this need to clear the air. And look, maybe some people will buy into this. I found the answers uh, when they weren't jargon remarkably implausible, remarkably hard to believe. He began with the usual, 
mistakes were made, passive voice, <laughs> sort of, you know, it's really unfortunate. He wants you to believe this was just a bunch of innocent misjudgments that that piled up on top of each other and accidentally billions of dollars disappear. Nobody really knows what happened there. It's so confusing. And as he emphasizes, I have limited access to data. Well, who does? Greg, I mean, the first thing that jumps out is when he says he didn't knowingly commingle funds between his uh, hedge fund and FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. Greg, do you think he tripped? <laughs> like, is he carrying one giant pile of money and then he tripped and spilled into the other? Actually, no, that can't be ca the case because cryptocurrency is not tangible. It's not physical. It has no physical form. It's not paper. It's not coins. It's entirely electronic. Um, I love the explanation because people said, you know, you're running both. He said, look, I wasn't running Alameda. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I was a large owner of it. That's true. And I had a lot of exposure on that side, but I wasn't running it. I mean, I yeah, I have a very hard time believing that a large owner of that firm did not know what was going on there. They asked him about the house that he purchased for his parents. And his answer was, I don't know the details of the house for my parents. <laughs> like, what, what did you, like, what, somebody else bought a house for your parents? Like, what, what was going on? You know, um, he insisted that... Uh, FTX was not attempting to influence federal policy at all. BS. I do not believe that in the slightest. You don't make all those donations if you don't care about influencing policy. Oh, by the way, eight members of the House, four Republicans, four Democrats, wrote a letter to the SEC saying that your request for more financial data from cryptocurrency firms was running afoul of the Paperwork Reduction Act. And it was becoming uh, basically essentially arguing you're hassling these cryptocurrency firms. Bankman-Fried insisted that all of his donations to media institutions were just because he believed in good journalism. He thought that the work they do is important and he wasn't looking to have any influence over them. I don't get it. But you know, as you mentioned, my favorite one was they said, they look at the tweet and he says, you know, were you telling the truth when you said you had left up to cover all your client holdings? If directly, Sorkin asks him, were you telling the truth? And the answer is, things were changing fast. Greg, I'm just going to write that down as No. <laughs> That's yeah, that's the fancy answer for it, right? I mean, it's just uh, I don't know why he's doing the interviews. Honestly, he's only making himself look worse. But I'm I'm not in the uh, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, image consulting business. That's for sure. This guy needs to lawyer up with his remaining hundred thousand dollars that he claims is all he has left here. But uh, he looks to be the villain here. But at the same time, one of the old adages is if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And so this is also a lesson for investors. Uh, just because somebody else is making some money temporarily on crypto, uh, you don't necessarily uh, want to go in that direction, especially without a lot of due diligence. I recently got a, a wonderful gift from my brother uh, who uh, compiled nine years worth of columns that my dad wrote in the newspaper long ago, because in addition to being a small town mayor, his real job was being an investment advisor. And so he wrote a weekly financial column and peppered throughout these things back in the 70s and 80s is him reacting to people saying, ooh, I saw this. It looks like a great investment opportunity. He's like, yeah, here's A, B, and C, why this is a terrible idea, and it's really just a scam. And then a few weeks later, he would write the follow-up of, I told you it was a scam. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, if it seems too good to be true, if it's a get-rich-quick scheme that involves uh, little effort and uh, something you don't really fully understand, but like you said a few weeks ago, these people seem to get it, so it must be worth it. You might want to slow down and uh, think of a more traditional way to uh, to grow your money. Yeah, I was going to say this is a a, a a bit like we you know people are making comparisons to the infamous fire festival, the giant music festival down in the Caribbean. By the way, it always seems to be the Caribbean, doesn't it, Greg? <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's why all the pirates are there, including Johnny Depp. Um, 
the you know the, the 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 fire festival and it was a disaster and you know a lot of people flew down there and the concert was canceled last minute there's a very entertaining documentary on netflix about this but it was kind of those things like i didn't feel that bad about that because almost anybody who could afford to shell out the enormous funds to go down there it was you know there's a lot of like generally spoiled people <laughs> who could have or should have known better and you know in the end you know nobody very few nobody died you know or something like that in this case look if you entrusted ftx and all of a sudden you know you you're without your money i i, I feel bad for you but i you know i hope you did your due diligence i hope you did your digging into this and you know it probably seems like in a lot of cases people didn't and they just wanted to get in on the ground floor of something that was being relentlessly touted as the hot new thing and I kind of, you know, like those of us who looked at cryptocurrency or maybe even never bothered, maybe you heard about it and just didn't care, you know, maybe you didn't have enough money to invest. But if you looked at this, you look say, I don't get it. There's nothing tangible there. It feels like you're investing in air. You're investing in a theory and hoping that it goes up in value. You can find some other guy who's even more foolish than you to buy it from you later on. <laughs> and if you, and if you, and if that was, you know, like if that was your philosophy, eh, you, you knew the risk going in. And for those of us who looked at that as a, I don't get it, and we're kind of made fun of being old fogies who didn't understand this investing lots of money in air thing. Well, you know what? It worked out pretty well for us. So let's hear it for not understanding it, Greg. <laughs> I think so. I mean, the one thing I think we all knew about crypto is that it's volatile. And you just got to figure out if you're going to get into it, figure out which wave of the roller coaster you wanted to sell on and, and, and try to make as much as you can if it was going to go back up. So uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm certainly not an investment expert. I'll leave that to other members of my family. But this was one that seemed too good to be true. All right. On to our final crazy martini now, Jim. And for that, we head out to Arizona. Where, of course, uh, we recently had uh, a number of elections that were highly contested. The closest one, actually, I think the attorney general's race out in Arizona is even closer than the governor's race. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the votes are in as far as we know. And uh, Katie Hobbs has been certified and signed as the next governor by outgoing Republican governor Doug Ducey. But the uh, protests continue about what happened in Maricopa County with those malfunctioning machines. Were people ultimately disenfranchised because they couldn't wait that long and couldn't make it back later in the day and, and, and everything else? And what happened? Did those ballots get counted if they went in drawer three or whatever? So you got some Republicans in other parts of the state who are not convinced this was an election on the up and up. And that includes Cochise County, Arizona. And you write about that today. The issue there is there's no controversy in Cochise County. They just don't like the way that the election was run, uh, particularly in Maricopa County, but I guess at the statewide level as well, given the slow counting uh, that frustrated a lot of people as well. But as you point out today, they're being taken to court for not certifying their results, and there's not even a lawyer willing to stand up for the county uh, for refusing to do that. And so uh, where do we stand with this? So as of the this morning, um, the county commissioners said, they're, I guess I guess they just have to represent themselves. Uh, because they reached out to the lawyer who had represented the Cyber Ninjas, the group that was running the audit of Maricopa County after the 2020 election. Uh, that lawyer said, no, thank you. I don't want to take your case, but recommended somebody else. That second lawyer also said, no, thank you. I don't want to represent you. So, you know, I look at that and say, huh, I think you may have backed yourself into a position that is extraordinarily difficult to defend in court. Now, to quickly review, Maricopa County's elections department has said publicly and in legal, you know, they have that everyone who wanted to vote could vote. If you are Kari Lake or her campaign and you want to make the argument that the more than 17,000 vote margin reflects a fact that, you know, is illegitimate because there were people who wanted to vote who could not, 
who were effectively disenfranchised. Well, you got to go out and you got to find something along the neighborhood of 17,000 people who said, I would have, in Maricopa County, who would have voted, but who said they couldn't because of the printer issues. Now, remember, the printer issues did not cause any vote to not be tabulated. It simply couldn't go to the voter tabulation machines at that particular polling place. The county has other voting tabulation machines back in the central office. But they basically said to some people, oh, we're not sure if it's scanning. And they gave them other polling places to go cast ballots. Now, and apparently lots of people went out and did this. Now, is this inconvenient? Yes. Is this frustrating? Yes. Is this sort of thing they should have tested before? Absolutely. But as of this point, no one has been able to point to any any number of people who've been able to say, I wanted to cast a ballot, but I couldn't. And they're very quick to emphasize, this did not mean that the machines were spitting out ballots or rejecting ballots or that someone cast what was, you know, what should have been a legitimate ballot and was not counted. All of the votes have been counted according to the Maricopa County's Elections Department, according to the county lawyer, Rachel Mitchell, who you may remember from the uh, uh, confirmation hearings of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. She was the lawyer that uh, Republicans of the committee used for the questioning. And the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors canvassed the 2022 general election results, certified the results are accurate, and have provided a full accounting for all ballots cast in the election. The Board of Supervisors has four Republicans and one Democrat. All of them certified the election results and said they were safe, secure, and accurate. If you want to believe that Carrie Lake is the real winner of this election, and that her victory is being stolen, or suppressed, or somehow taken away, by the you know, election authorities. It means it requires a vast conspiracy of Republican officials to break the law in order to make Democrat Katie Hobbs the next governor. I find that really implausible. And if you want to prove that, you better put forth some evidence. You don't see any evidence coming forth. Now, you've got two county commissioners and Cochise. There, there's a, three people on the county uh, supervisors board who looked at all this and said, I think the election is stolen, or we think the election is stolen. We're not submitting our county results to the state in protest of this fraudulent election. Now, they're not saying anything's wrong in Cochise County. Oh, by the way, Republic, it's, a, it's a largely Republican county. Republicans won by about a two-to-one margin. But they're saying, we're not going to send you our results. And Katie Hobbs is saying, well, if you don't send us the certified results, I can't put them into the total. And the county guys are like, no, that's fine. We're protesting. We're not submitting our votes. We are voluntarily disenfranchising all of the voters in our county, which, oh, by the way, might swing a House seat and another race where the Republican won, but it's all dependent upon the not yet certified results of this. Now, by the way, under state law, those county commissioners have to certify the vote. They don't have discretion. They don't have the option of saying, mm, I don't feel like doing this. The process of certifying the election results is not a potential hostage that county commissioners are allowed to use because they have objections with the way some other county handled their election issues. But that's where we are. I suspect these two county commissioners are going to fold before, I don't know, the end of the week or you know, before push comes to shove. I don't think they want to have several Republican losses because they refuse to submit legal votes. I mean, this is actual disenfranchisement. Lots of people, including a whole lot of Republicans, cast votes, legitimate votes in Cochise County. And they're not going to be in the official state totals unless these county officials say, yep, here they are. We've approved them. That's where things are now. So I, this is the most ridiculous case of cutting off your nose to spite your face that I can recall. And it is a hard lesson. You should not elect lunatics to any position where you have actual responsibilities or powers. Yeah, I don't see how what they're doing could ever actually accomplish what they 
want to accomplish here. So what they're doing is ridiculous. But I, I do think that there needs to be changes in Arizona. The fact that these machines weren't ready to go or having problems, uh, you know, you got a year to get this done. You only have one other election day throughout the year. And that's the primary day. If they're not ready to go, that's somebody's fault. And if people couldn't stand in line longer to vote, that's a problem. And that's disenfranchisement too. Uh, and so they need to fix that. They need to count votes faster. And California needs to do it too. Uh, the sooner you count votes, the better it is. But what Cochise County is doing is insane. Uh, there's nothing that's going to be accomplished by that. And they're not following the duties with which they, I assume, were sworn to uphold. So crazy indeed. Greg, it's Friday, right? <sighs> Almost. Tomorrow. <laughs> See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell a friend about us if you haven't already. Uh, also, give us a five-star rating and a kind review. We always appreciate those very much. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Christmas is coming. Go out and buy Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We know there's so much craziness going on in the news these days, but don't worry because we're here to talk about it all. Biden's administration is crumbling with Sam Brinton leading the way after being arrested for stealing. And Kanye West is causing a political storm after his announcement that he plans to run in 2024. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.